Yeah, how you guys doing? I'm well, thanks for asking. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had Willie Reimer here to launch us into a new series on multiplication. That Sunday that Willie did the ordination ceremony, we're thrilled for Willie and Gwen as well. Um, but he shared a little bit from the book of Ephesians, kind of a 30,000-foot perspective, big picture on kingdom multiplication through Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. And then last week, Bill Hogg was here. Uh, he's involved as a missiologist uh, with our fellowship and also uh, involved with C2C, our church planting network here across the country. So Bill talked about multiplication as well. Today I want to talk about the context for kingdom expansion. What exactly does that look like? Yeah, the kingdom's multiplying, the kingdom's come here to earth, as Jesus said. What's that, what's that going to look like as we multiply the kingdom, as the kingdom grows, as his kingdom comes, as his will is done? It's like we're pregnant with something. It's like something's growing, something's happening. What's that look like? the context of the kingdom. You see here on the next slide, Jesus taught us to pray these words, your kingdom come, your will be done. So when the kingdom comes, what does that look like? Does that mean Jesus comes and sets up a castle and all of a sudden we have a, a happy new kingdom? What does it mean when God's kingdom shows up here on earth and starts to multiply everywhere. Hmm. On the next slide, just want to ask you this simple question. How can I most effectively bring that kingdom change? What's that actually going to look like in my context, my workplace, my neighborhood, my home, my school? What's it going to look like to bring change? Should I bring it negatively? Should I scare people into the kingdom? Should I shame them into the kingdom? Should I be a hater against all kinds of dark and evil wickedness in this world? Or will it be more positive? Will it be based in love and encouragement and hope? Those are good questions. Thank you for asking. On the next slide, I just want to start with this. There is, there is something a little bit that we, we could perceive as negative about this because the fear, yes, that negative emotion that haunts us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I've heard all kinds of teaching about, well, this doesn't really mean fear because, again, the Bible says perfect love drives out all fear. And, and, and when we talk about fear here, we're really talking about respect. It's interesting, there is a different Hebrew word for respect and the writer of this verse very easily could have used this word, the respect of the Lord, the honor of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But it actually says fear, and I looked up the word, and it means fear. Again, I think we've kind of lost something in our casual culture where, you know, I look around, I see many of you sipping on heated beverages of various caffeine levels. And it's, it's relaxed, right? Church, we're relaxed. Everything's cool. And I'm not, again, I'm not being judgy here. Please don't take me wrong on this. It's, it's, it's good to drink coffee in the house of the Lord and tea. 
and water. Beer, not so much. But, it, but it's, it's good to be casual. But, but I think in our relaxed, invitational culture, just, yeah, come experience Jesus, come as you are, that, that's very much a part of the gospel message. I, I think we've actually, actually lost a little bit of a handle on the character of the Lord, that he is, again, if I can use some King James words here to really help you understand, he's terrible. He's awful. Those are words that are actually used in Scripture to describe our God. Terrible and awful. He is actually fear-provoking. Like, he's the kind of God who, you know, just, if he wanted to, just send a lightning bolt and poof, there you are, a little pile of ash. Awkward. And we kind of forget that, that he is the God who is the all-consuming fire, who should be not just respected and honored, but... But we should look at him as being the awful God. Awful with an E in it, this one. A-W-E. And it's not like that he's just awesome, like, wow, God is awesome, dude. It's like, we kind of need to, not permanently, but I think it would help us to just kind of visit this place every now and then, like, yeah, he is incredibly powerful, and terrifying, again, throughout the scripture, people encounter God and they do things like fall on their face and they cover themselves. They just, they can't handle just how incredibly powerful he is. But the cool thing is, that's not he, how he primarily chooses to reveal himself. In this era of history, he's chosen to reveal himself through his son, Jesus. I'm very thankful for that. Because he is incredibly awesome, like to the point of being a terrifying God. But that's not the foot that he puts forward. Even though the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, what I really want to focus on today is this scripture passage in Romans 2, verses 1 to 4. Romans 1, just to give you some context, talks about a generation of people who have basically started to live a very alternative lifestyle. They've walked away from God. They're not running to Him. They're choosing created things rather than the Creator. They're choosing idols rather than the true God. They've forsaken their natural inclinations for unnatural inclinations. They've become so depraved and they're so far away from God that they will actually engage in this alternative lifestyle of speaking badly about one another, slandering other people. I mean, they're so out of line, they even go so far as to disobey their parents. Again, I know it doesn't sound like a big deal. You were probably expecting something worse. But in Romans chapter 2, check this out here on the next slide. From the New Living Translation, it, it talks about how God will judge sin. You may think you condemn such people, but you're just as bad. Paul says to the church in Rome, you have no excuse. When you say these people are wicked and should be punished, You're actually condemning yourself because you who judge others, you do the same stuff. We know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does this kind of 
stuff. But since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think God, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the very same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it's his kindness? His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. I know we see lots of haters. We see lots of people that are extreme in their evangelical expression of faith. And we're we're part of that same family of belief that takes the word of God as being literally applied to our lives today. I want to focus on these words that you see there highlighted on the screen. I want to focus on the condemning or the condemnation because, again, that's how some people, placard-carrying haters, would interpret how God interacts with society. So I want to look at the condemning. I want to look at the judgment that you see there in verse 3. But then there's this turn in verse 4 that, and this is where I want to end the message, is pointing out this contrast where God is wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient. I want to focus as we close this morning on that word kindness, but just touch briefly on the word patience here. Uh, when, they, when, this, when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome 2,000 years ago, they, they hadn't invented the English language yet. So Paul wrote in the Greek language, in the Greek word. Give me a word, any word in Greek, and I'll show you, I'll show you how it comes from the Greek. But this word patient um, is from two Greek words, macro, meaning the big picture, and thumia, meaning to burn. And it's saying that God is big picture, big burning. It's not a quick little burning. It's not a gunpowder infused wick that you would see on a piece of dynamite that just... That's not how God rolls. His... His thinking is about slow burning or big, it takes big, a long time to burn. It's not just a piece of string that's infused with gunpowder and will just blow up in a few seconds. It's like dipped in wax. We have a word for that in English. Bless you. Candle. It's the slow burning. It's the big burning thing. That, that, that's how God is. He, he sees the things we do. He doesn't blow up. He's the God who is slow burning, the God who's patient. And I don't know about you, but I've seen that like a zillion times in my life where I'm making mistakes and patiently, tenderly, God just keeps giving me opportunity after opportunity. It's not that he's not aware. It's not that he's slow as some people understand slowness. He's actually patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everybody to come to a place of repentance. That's the word at the end of verse 4 there. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you, to turn you from your sin? The Bible word, again, the, uh, the Greek word for this 2,000 years ago, metanoia, meaning to change the mind. He's patient with you. His kindness is intended to change your mind, moving away from sin. That's the word we translate as repentance. Wow. So first of all, let me talk just for a couple minutes about condemnation. The condemnation attitude, meaning to uh, not just judge, but to continually judge a point of opinion 
that leads to a negative conclusion. Condemnation. That's the scriptural understanding of it. Condemnation comes from a posture of, you know, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make it true. I'm going to fix everything. I'm going to, I'm going to change this situation because I know it's right. My opinion is superior. I want to invite you to come up to my level. I'm going to condemn you. I'm going to point out what's wrong with your thinking and how your conclusions are wrong. And again, the scripture invites us to stop that kind of thinking because that's not how God thinks. I love these words in James 1. If we lack wisdom, we can ask God. He gives that wisdom generously to all, check this phrase, without finding fault. Hmm. God's one who gives wisdom without fault finding. Again, I, I find myself continually in a place where I see the things that are wrong and I can easily gravitate towards being a fault finder. And yet the one who's omniscient, who knows everything, who knows how to fix the planet, doesn't force his way of thinking on us. And when he gives us, gives us his wisdom, it's, it's accompanied with this kindness that doesn't find fault in people. Yeah, I'll help you. I'll, I'll give you wisdom. I, I'm not a blamer. I'm not a judger. I'm not finding fault with people. Again, Romans 12.8 points out this spiritual gift. And it says, if you have an ability to encourage, then give it. Give encouragement. That is literally, you get this in the archaic English, to put courage into other people. They're failing, they're struggling, they're wondering, am I going to be able to succeed? Can I get it done? To encourage them is to put courage in their hearts so that they can say, I can do this. I may be broken, I, I may have made mistakes. My life might be a circumstantial tragedy of errors right now. But when we put courage into people and say to them, instead of a condemning thing that says, okay, I'll tell you what you're doing wrong and here's what you need to fix, that is not the way of Christ. Rather, it's the way of putting courage into people. It's not just giving them answers. I've heard this from my counselor many times. He says, Mark, it's not up to you to fix it because I'm a guy. Arr, 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 arr. I mean, that's my response. You give me a couple tools, I'll get her done. The spirit of Chris King will come upon me and I will be able to fix it instantaneously. Or Tim Taylor. But he'll often say to me, Mark, it's not up to you to fix it. It's up to you to listen. Husbands, can I let you in on a little secret? That'll change your life. Like when your wife comes and she's distressed and she's frustrated, maybe the emotion level is up. I suppose a lot of you would have to face, I never have to face that in my home, of course. More than, say, 10 or 15 times a week. But when my wife is distressed, it's not up to me to say, okay, okay, just shut up, we're going to fix this. That's, that's not the answer. Because it's not just the solution of, of bringing the details together. My wife actually wants me to hear her. Listening. Hmm. There's a novel idea for guys. And as we engage, it's not just getting to the place we're trying to get to. It's the journey between here and there of hearing my wife's heart, talking to my family, hearing what their hearts are. That, it's not about just being the fix-it guy. It's about listening and then depositing hope and life and courage into those that are around us. 
Condemnation is the opposite of that. Not only is there condemnation that the scripture talks about, it also talks about judgment. This is a position of saying, you're wrong. You've made a mistake. You're a sinner. It's about bringing change by inferiority. A message of, you're not good enough. I think a lot of times we're quick to offer an opinion. That's actually, again, the root word of this New Testament word for judgment. It's, it's to give an opinion. Is it just me, or do you find it a little irritating when, especially people you hardly know or don't know at all, offer their opinion to you? Uh, we've just moved back from Europe, just before we came to SunWest, as you know. Yeah, there's a lot of European cultures that are very free to offer opinions. It's wonderful to be in a clothing store and trying on a garment and a passerby will just walk by and say, that doesn't look right on you. <laughs> Do you work here? No. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> in Jesus' name. <laughs> like we don't get excited when other people offer opinions. And to judge is to do that. That's, again, literally one of the interpretations of this word, New Testament word to judge, is to give an opinion. And it's, it's not always welcome, it's especially, in, especially in Canadian culture. What you see on the next slide, the contrast for judgment is very simply kindness. In John 8, there's this, oh, personally, it's got to be in my top five Bible stories, story of a lady who's been caught messing around sexually. They drag her in, and for some reason they ask Jesus' opinion on this. Essentially what they're saying is, come and judge with us. Be a judge. The law says if you're caught messing around sexually, you're supposed to stone such people. What do you think, Jesus? That's funny because biblically, like in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the righteous judge. That's like his job. That's who he is. Jesus is invited into the judgment seat in this story. Come, judge this lady with us. The law says this. What do you think? And, uh, and Jesus comes out with this classic phrase. You know what? Whichever one of you is without sin, be my guest. You toss the first stone. And then, to highlight this, Jesus bends over and he writes something in the sand. I can't wait to get to heaven just to see that video. Just to figure out what he wrote in the sand. I wonder if he wrote like, maybe a time and a date. And then a whorehouse associated with that date. And then went to the next line and wrote down another indiscretion. And I don't know what he wrote in the sand, but pretty soon people started dropping rocks. And one by one, the older ones first, they started to walk away and didn't stone this lady to death. I find it so interesting that the one who's supposed to be the judger, the one who has every right to judge, because he's the one who has never sinned. He's the one who actually has the right to cast, to throw the first stone. And he contends for the protection of the embarrassed lady. That's my king. 
That's my Jesus. Rushing to the aid to defend the one who's hurting and broken and embarrassed and ridiculed by the religious people. Jesus is right there and has her back. I love that about my Jesus. And as if that wasn't enough. He reaches out to the lady. And he doesn't say to her, you know what, these guys are right. Your life's a mess. He says, you know what, I'm not going to condemn you either. Go. And he raises the bar for her. And live this life of sin no more. He actually challenges her. He's not being a judgy guy. He's just shown her he loves her. He protects her. He cares about her. But he extends kindness. Wow. I want to be like that. I aspire to be that kind of hero that stands in for the disenfranchised, the frustrated, the discouraged, stands with them and partners with them rather than judging, offering them a hand. I'll show you thirdly, that is the kingdom contrast. It's the contrast of kindness. Again, we read in the scripture this morning in Romans 2.4, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, to change our minds, to do things differently. We've heard his message that he cares about us, that, that we are worthy of his love, that he believes in us, that he actually does like us and love us. That, that brings a transformation as his grace touches us. We pass it to others and, and we're not out to eradicate evil in this world by being haters, by being mean, by being condemners and judgers. We're going to kill it with kindness. The spirit of sonship, the heart of adoption. I, let me just illustrate this as I close this morning. Uh, Picture the lady on the screen there sitting on the log. It's my friend Bobby. Bobby's an incredible lady. She, uh, you know, she aspired as a teenager when she grew up. She just wanted to be married, have kids, have a happy, beautiful home and influence the world. She just high level of domestic skills and caring about people around her. The only problem was she came through her 20s and 30s. She still wasn't married, but she didn't let that hinder her from her goal. The two young ladies you see in the picture there, Athena and Rain, she fostered these girls. Here she is in her 30s, not waiting around for a husband. She just jumps into the fostering system, starts loving and caring for Athena and Rain. Those beautiful, precious little girls love Jesus. Because Bobby's just opened her home to them. Again, she didn't just sit around, feel sorry for herself, and say, I don't She's changing her world by opening up her heart to two little girls that were previously strangers to her. She took them into her home, Gave them foster care for a couple years and then broke away from that and adopted them as her own girls. And those girls now love Jesus. I I consider Bobby a hero. Again, nothing flashy, nothing... Most preachers aren't preaching about this this Sunday. 
but Bobby's one of my heroes. Whenever I meet her, I tell her so. She's a great lady. She's a champion. The other four kids down on the bottom right, I can't share their identity with you, but these four foster groups, a sibling group of four, came into our home a few years back. So for seven months, we had eight kids. The TV show was right. Eight is enough. <laughs> I mean, those were challenging months as we had that sibling group of four. Actually, when I got the call from uh, our foster agency, we were with the High Needs Foster Agency, they called me, I believe, Boxing Day and said, Mark, we need an answer in three hours. Sibling group of four, they've been couch surfing. They were apprehended in the city of Toronto by Catholic Children's Aid. Months they've been living on couches, various locations. They need a home tonight. Can we bring you four kids indefinitely? Oh, sorry, one more thing. They all have lice in a bad way right now. That's kind of wrecking my Christmas vacation time. I mean, that's my first response, right? Like, seriously, I'm here with my kids and you want me to lice it up? I talked to my wife and both of us were feeling the same thing. There's really no question. Bring it. And after a couple of lousy days... We were on with the process. Like, to me, there's not much heroic about that. It's just there's a need. And I think, how would Jesus respond? I'll tell you, during the seven months that those kids were with us, all four of them invited Jesus into their hearts. When they left our home, they went to another home that we knew the foster parents there. Guess what? They were Christians too. And uh, the two older girls attended youth group. The two younger kids, they got involved in the Sunday school and kids program. These kids had a dramatic encounter with Jesus. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, to have a different way of seeing things. It, it literally transforms our world from the inside out. Is... Sydney Zacharias here this morning? Sid? Sid, can you come up for a minute? Can I pick on you? I, did, I, I really meant to mention this to you before. <laughs> but Sid's been one of our interns. Sid, you're just in Mexico with the team. We good with this, Mike? You okay? Yeah. He didn't warn me. <laughs> interns don't get warnings. <laughs> You're awesome. Uh, Sid was with the Mexico team, and uh, earlier in the week, uh, we take time to introduce our, the people that are getting homes. You know, we're there building homes. So 135 leaders and students down in Mexico. And you were able to meet uh, this one family, and they had a little six-year-old boy. And tell me about his hand function. Okay. Um, so his hand, when he was born, it was like this. So we met the family and we wanted to pray over them. 
And the little boy, his hand, like as he was growing up, it started to, like he's able to move his arm now. Um, his hand was started to move, but he still had a hard time moving his fingers. Um, so we asked him if we could pray over him. And he was a little boy, so he didn't really understand what we were asking. So we, I asked permission to lay my hand on his hand to pray for it. And we did. And then as I was praying, um, we can see that his hand motion was getting better and he was starting to move his fingers. And yeah, so mm-hmm. God healed him at the end of the week that we were there. So that yeah. was awesome. So, so Sam was telling me the boy looked a little scared. Sam takes him back into the house. And Sam Ramirez was, was functioning as our interpreter on the trip. And Sam said, what's wrong? The boy looked a little stressed, a little concerned. And uh, the boy said, I, I feel something in my hand. So he was scared because he hadn't felt something in his hand for his entire life. So the next day, Pastor Jeff and Sam went back to pray. Later in the week, they go to present this family with the keys to their home. And instead of the father taking the keys and the Bible and the blanket that we were presenting to them on behalf of SunWest, the father pushed the boy forward. And what did the boy do? The boy grabbed the keys and the Bible and the blanket for the family. With, with his, his left hand. hand. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Functional. <laughs> Fully functional. Yeah, yeah. So wait, before you go, Sid, I'm not done with you oh, yet. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sid, why did you want to pray for that kid? Um, because I've seen the power of healing before, and I know that... God wants to heal people, so it's, to me, it's easy. It's my first response, so I just wanted to pray for him, and it, I feel like it changed his life, so yeah. why not? So, Sid, you've, you've probably played, prayed for hundreds of people in your life. Do all of them get healed? No. No? Do most of them get healed? No. But, A lot of them do. Yeah, some yeah. of them do get yeah. healed, right? Yeah. This is what I want you to see. The point of this is not, I need to get Sid to pray for me. I mean, that's, that's probably a good option. We're not opposed to that. But my point is there was something in Sid that saw this little guy and rather than just saying, hmm, too bad. Sid's part of our club that we have here in the kingdom of God. It's called the Fool's Rush In Club. That when we see a need and we actually care about people, did you feel something in your heart for that little guy? Mm-hmm. How could you not do something? And sometimes that means giving a financial gift or doing some practical things. Sometimes it means praying. I just want to commend you, Sid, just for feeling the way Jesus would have felt and stepping into that situation and praying because now that kid has a life. And that's kind of a big deal, kind of a game changer. Give it up for Sid, ladies and gentlemen. Like I'm hearing these stories around SunWest. I heard a couple more incredible stories this week. But it's just about responding how Jesus would respond. Again, it's his kindness. It's not his judginess. It's not his condemnation. Again, he holds back. He doesn't step into these situations and just start firing off lightning bolts. He sends his kids He sends us into our workplaces, into our homes, our neighborhoods, our schools, just just to share his smile, his encouragement. I know some of us think, you know, I I don't think I can multiply the kingdom. I'm not not a preacher. I'm I'm not as outgoing as somebody like Sid. Like, she's just a firecracker. I'm more quiet. And you know what? 
we can all smile at people. We can all say to, say, say to somebody, hey, I like your hat. It's better if that person is actually wearing a hat because <laughs> they can feel really bad about their haircut all of a sudden. Even worse to say, hey, I like your helmet. That's probably not a good one. But I mean, we can all, we can all share a smile. We can all share some joy, some love, some peace, some kindness. And you know what? I know a lot of us have been through heavy, heavy stuff. There's something about digging down deep into that reservoir of life that is in us to encourage others, to put hope and peace into others. I mean, I'm so grateful God's done that with me. Rather than condemning me or judging me, he's been nothing but kind. He is the kindest, most loving individual in the entire universe. I am so grateful for his kindness that my heart just bubbles up when I think about how kind he's been with me. Not once have I been struck by lightning. Not twice, not even three times. And I'm just very grateful for his kindness. And today I just want to encourage you Again, it may not be as dramatic as Sid's story of seeing a, a full-on healing, but you know what? It, it might be that. Can I just tell you honestly, I probably prayed with hundreds of people before I saw a healing. Maybe thousands of people, I don't know. Sometimes you see a result, sometimes you don't. But you know what? You can love people in so many practical ways. And I just want to encourage you this week. To allow the process of kingdom multiplication. Again, it's not going to start overnight. We might not see 10,000 or 100,000 people saved in the coming weeks or months. But if we can break the hardness of people's hearts. One person at a time. Through our acts of love and practical expressions of kindness. I just want to encourage you to make a difference. I invite the worship team to come. And lead us in a song. Would you all mind standing to your feet?